Welcome to the Water Cooler, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I'm David Brody. It's Monday, June 7, 2021. Stand by, America. We have a dino alert. A, a dino alert. Democrat name only. Democrat name only. That is, I'm, I'm a little nervous. That's right, Joe Manchin roaming around the water cooler set today. That not necessarily Joe Manchin, just representing Joe Manchin. Uh, the Democrat senator from West Virginia just uh, literally bit off the head of progressives by saying he is not going to vote for their so-called Voting Rights Act, saying that it would divide the country even further. Well, so much for the Democrats' top priority. So what is Uncle Chuck and Aunt Nancy, what are they going to do? And the Dems, what are they going to do now? More in a moment. Also, former President Trump back in the saddle this weekend in North Carolina. His critics say they'd rather see him in a straitjacket, not a saddle. But either way, there's no escaping Trump. Biden may be the president, but Trump still dominates the conversation. We will discuss the ramifications and reverberations. Those are a lot of syllables from his speech over the weekend. Meanwhile, while Trump was receiving cheers, it was an entirely different scenario for Georgia Governor Brian Kemp. Republican convention this weekend and well let's just say he was lucky that Trump Republicans from the peach state weren't literally throwing peaches at him on stage this weekend instead plenty of booze for the governor who they are still none too happy about regarding the 2020 election. We will have Georgia gubernatorial candidate Vernon Jones here later on the program to discuss. Clearly a lot of juicy political news to get to. Let's bring in my good friend Rick Klein the pol political director for ABC News. Rick great to see you again sir. Hey, David. Good to be with you. All right. Uh, let's start with Manchin. He's become like, I don't know, the Mitt Romney of the Democrat Party. Progressives, I mean, they can't, they can't stand him, Rick. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, this is now at a, at a boiling point. And, and this was a surprise that he put out the op-ed uh, saying he would not eliminate the filibuster, would not support H.R. Uh, 1, the voting rights bill that uh, is the top Democratic priority that you mentioned. Uh, it wasn't, though, a surprise that he took these positions. I think the timing, though, yeah, it can't be lost on anyone. It's barely a week ago that uh, Kamala Harris took on this new portfolio of trying to, to pass voting rights legislation. And this means it's dead. H.R. 1 is not going to happen as long as Joe Manchin opposes it. Uh, and he is against it. And I think for some intriguing reasons, David, that matter for the Republican agenda, he actually, in the op-ed, didn't cite any policy objections. What he said is, though, because this is such a, a hot-button issue, you need to have Republican buy-in. So it's bipartisanship itself that's lacking. Uh, and until and unless you get that, uh, Manchin's not moving. And that, again, seals the fate of H.R. 1. You make a really good point, Rick, about this, because it shouldn't come as any shock. I mean, maybe the timing and the fact that he put in an op-ed like this and, you know, but but the truth of the matter is they've been working on Manchin for weeks. It's clearly and cinema for that matter. And it's been going nowhere and they, they can't get anywhere. Yeah, and I think this was an attempt by uh, by Senator Manchin just to to put a nail in that and say I'm not budging, and he'll he's been saying it for months and months and months in as many different ways as you can uh, about about not just HR one but the broader issue about whether he would eliminate the Senate filibuster. It's not going anywhere, and you know we talk a lot about bipartisanship as if it's uh, some some luxury or choice that Biden is engaging in. The fact is. Uh, unless every Democratic senator is, is, is on board for everything that Biden is doing, he needs bipartisanship. And this underscores that point. Uh, if you don't even have all the Democrats uh, on board, then you're not good luck trying to get some Republicans. But that, that's why you see the dance that's been going on around infrastructure, um, voting rights, civil rights. All these issues are, are not going to move until or unless you get at least some Republican buy-in.
Well, and this seems to have a direct um, tie into the legislative filibuster. This idea, I mean, if Manchin is a no on this, we, we know he doesn't want to change the filibuster. We know Cinema has come out just, what, last week and said the same thing. I know they're working on both of them, but it does seem that things like D.C. statehood, the Equality Act, and you can go down the list, uh, will all be dead if the, if the legislative filibuster doesn't change. And so I'm assuming this is also going to be dead regarding the legislative filibuster as well, though no one really thought it was going to go anywhere in the first place. Yeah, and look, this is the reality of a 50-50 Senate. Uh, every one senator can can be a majority maker or a majority breaker. And in this case, Senator Manchin putting putting this firm stand on on the issue of the filibuster takes it off the table for all intents and purposes. And similarly, any legislation that he opposes. And again, uh, what he is saying is, go find some Republicans and then we can talk. Uh, I think there'll be more attention to the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, which um, is more modest in its... Uh, in its scope, but still an important Democratic prior, uh, priority. Senator Manchin's indicated he's open to supporting that, and there could be Republican support for it. But uh, they're going to have to, the Democrats are going to have to regroup on voting rights at the very least. Rick, one last question on Manchin. I want to read you uh, just a small portion of the op ed in the Charleston Gazette Mail. Uh, this is how he explained his reasoning behind the decision. He said, quote, I believe. The partisan voting legislation will destroy the already weakened, weakening binds of our democracy. And for that reason, I will vote against the For the People Act. Furthermore, I will not vote to weaken or eliminate the filibuster. So he did actually talk about the filibuster as well. I, I guess you just wonder this tap dance or this dance between progressives and, and people like Manchin, even Biden, obviously. Biden, uh, too, really at the top of all of this. Because Biden said he was going to be this unifier in chief. But to push a legislative filibuster, to push H.R. Uh, 1, which is controversial, I mean, it's not just straight-up voting rights legislation, it would federalize elections. That, is, that doesn't feel very unifying, and I wonder if this is going to come back to backfire, not only from a progressive standpoint against Biden, but in a midterm election that Republicans smell political blood. Well, two points I'd make, David. One is that uh, if, if Democrats feel like Manchin is a problem, uh, he can make their lives pretty easy by becoming a Republican. He'd probably be reelected for life in West Virginia if he did that. He doesn't want to do that. Uh, and Democrats, I think, have to recognize at some level he's maybe the only Democrat on earth who could carry the state of West Virginia and, and be United States senator as a Democrat from West Virginia. So they have to make sure that they respect what he does and, and how his state is received as one of the reddest states uh, in, the, in the U.S. Uh, the, other, the other point is that uh, this, this is the reality for the foreseeable future. And uh, the Democrats have to at least recognize that, uh, change their, their perceptions a little bit ar around this. And progressives, they don't like hearing it, too bad. This is, this is how it is. And mm -hmm. it may be that Manchin uh, is kind of a blessing in disguise for Biden in, this, in the sense that you point out. Uh, he is going to be restraining some of the more progressive impulses inside the party. Uh, and as long yeah. as Manchin is standing up against things, including, the, including this, this rewrite to voting laws, that, that prevents the Democrats from going as far as uh, they'd otherwise like to. And Biden, of course, would, would rather get wins than, than losses legislatively on voting rights and a whole lot of other issues. But uh, it means that the centrists, uh, Manchin and Sinema chief among them, are going to be holding back the Democrats in terms of what they can actually accomplish. Rick, I want to get to Donald Trump uh, real quick. Uh, over the weekend, obviously, we all know about the speech. Uh, this line stood out to me. It's controversial, but I want to play it for you. Here it is, Rick. Remember, I am not the one trying to undermine American democracy. I'm the one that's trying to save it. Please remember that. Now, now, the media may have smelling salts after hearing that. I mean, because I'm assuming the media has been saying the exact opposite, that he's actually trying to destroy democracy. What did you make of that, that comment, Rick? 
Well, I, he's clearly playing to his base. And we know that a big segment of the base believes that the election was stolen, wrongly, based on no evidence, falsely, however you want to characterize it. Uh, but he keeps, that, he keeps that alive. And he's been keeping alive the idea that, uh, that there, he'll, he'll be vindicated. We'll see how that, how that plays out. And I think he, he, I believe the context of this statement, David, was talking about his opposition to the voting, to this, the voting rights reforms that Democrats are pushing, right. which he feels very strongly about. And a lot of Republicans feel very strongly about. Mitch McConnell and, and Donald Trump disagree about the election, but they agree on that point. And uh, that's where Republicans will find greater unity than in relitigating the last election. Yeah. Well, what do you think? Uh, you know, you just wonder, and I don't want to go down this this idea about the Wuhan lab leak because you know Trump and a lot of his, a lot of folks that believe that the Bannons of the world and others were laughed at. It was like you're, you're kidding me. Uh, and now all of a sudden, oh, well, there might be something to it. Uh, so, so what about the 2020 election? You wonder if there's not a bit of a bit of a trickle trickle here. Uh, that would be the worst case scenario for any of the critics of this 2020 election to all of a sudden find out six months, a year later, that as more transparency, as we get more transparency, there might be some things that were not known uh, a year ago or so. Uh, so I'm just saying that it might be a case. Well, I, I think that we, we have an audit process that, that is playing out in, in Maricopa right. County. There's one that the courts have ordered um, in, in the largest county in Georgia. Uh, and and we, we anxiously await those results. It's been delayed in Arizona for a couple of weeks, and I know they were just getting started in Georgia, the talk about in Pennsylvania. You know, at some level, you know, the, the facts will be the facts. We've had counts and recounts and audits and, and, and had hand audits and in all of those places. Uh, the former president continues to mischaracterize what has been found. Uh, clearly, he's, he's, he is eagerly, though, awaiting the emergence of any additional evidence. Yeah. Rick Klein, really appreciate your time here on The Water Cooler. Love having you on. Uh, and, you know, you know, I respect you greatly. So thanks so much. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. All right. Rick Klein, ABC News. Straight shooter, folks. Uh, we, we like Rick uh, and he just kind of puts it out there. And uh, and uh, we appreciate that. You know what, what's interesting? I'm just going to put on my glasses. If you don't mind, I got to turn a little bit, you know, 20 years older when I put on my glasses. Uh, you know, you know what? This is a quote from Tony Blinken, the secretary of state for Joe Biden. This is going to relate to politics here in a second. This is what he said. This was regarding Israel. He said this. Uh, he's talking about Israel. He said the more transparency Israel that, that they can provide, the more legitimacy you're going to have. And I said, wait, hold on. Let me read that again in context of the 2020 elections. The more transparency you can provide, the more legitimacy you're going to have. That's the Secretary of State Tony Blinken. Could that be extrapolated to talk about the 2020 elections? Is it about transparency? Is it about legitimacy? Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. I got to tell you, I'm a half glass. The glass is half full for me. I'm, I'm an optimistic guy. I don't really boo all that much. You know, I never go boo, boo. I'm not one of those people. However, if the buffet was out of food, you can guarantee I'd be saying boo, boo, more food, boo. That's what I would be doing. Hey, this weekend in Georgia, uh, well, I'll put it this way. The buffet was out of food uh, for Brian Kemp. Uh, he was getting booed. Uh, down in Georgia. Uh, the devil was down in Georgia, but so were the booze. Uh, here's what happened at the Georgia Republican Convention to Brian Kemp. They weren't angry because the buffet was out of food. They were angry at Brian Kemp. But let's bring in Vernon Jones, who is running for candidate. <laughs> running for candidate. What am I talking about? <laughs> What's in this mug? Uh, he's running for uh, governor down in Georgia. Vernon, great to have you back on the show, sir. 
Thank you, David. What's what's in your water cooler, David? Listen, <laughs> what's in my water? Uh, I'll tell you what's in my water cooler if you tell me what's in your. All right. Anyhow, all right. So, look, Brian Kemp getting booed. We shouldn't have. This should not come as a surprise to anybody that's been following the 2020 election. What was your take, Vernon? Well, first of all, to get a standing ovation like that, that shows you <laughs> that he's out of touch with people. He's out of touch with what's important to them. You know, Brian's the first Republican. But he's quickly shown that he's been the first rhino Republican governor, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, that's true. That was true a Republican, not switch from Democrat to Republican like the others have. But, you know, people are really upset about how he failed to stand up for election integrity, how he caved into Stacey Abrams, allowed Stacey's law to be used in our elections and not the state law. And more importantly, how he still is so tied into Dominion until he's not willing to move to get rid of Dominion or allow for an audit process. You know, a Florence audit is important. When you look at um, a, a recap, that's one thing, David, but a Florence audit gets down to the policies, the procedures, what was used, what wasn't used, this or that. You know, Ronald Reagan always said, it's not that I don't trust you, but let me verify it. He told us that the election was fair and transparent, but he won't let the American people, or let Georgians, I should say, verify it. And so th there's a dead cat on the internet line, and it leads to Brian Kemp. Well, and Brian Kemp is tied at the hip with uh, the Secretary of State down there, Brad Raffensperger. No. Uh, and this weekend, the Georgia GOP actually passed uh, a resolution to censor the Secretary of State down there in Georgia. What did you make of that move? And what is it telling you uh, more broadly about Republicans in Georgia and the appetite they have right now? Well, let me tell you, many wanted to censor Brian Kemp. Obviously, the establishment was trying to save him, save fate for him, but, save face, I should say, but it's obvious and apparent that Brian Kemp is a marked man, so is a Raffensperger. And I can tell you the other incumbents like the Attorney General. Don't forget the Attorney General signed off on Stacey's Law, that agreement that was hashed in the back room. Uh, the fact of it is, there's an anti-Georgia leadership movement right now because they didn't stand up for President Trump when he was running for re-election. They did not stand up for uh, election integrity. And as a Democrat, as a former Democrat, I stood up and fought more on the front lines than all of them put together. As a matter of fact, they were on the sidelines, and that's why people supported me so much. You know, the media left out something real important here. Yes, Brian got a standing ovation, but who won the lion's share? Who controlled that convention? That was Vernon Jones's convention, if you will, with the people of Georgia who saw me as a person that can fight, who has the legislative experience and the chief executive experience. And intentionally, the liberal media, they wrote the narrative. They very seldom even mentioned Vernon Jones and how we were able to captivate that room, not because of the speech, but because of my record, because I understood what was going on. I stood up for Donald Trump. And Brian Kemp, as a matter of fact, asked Brian Kemp the last time he had a, president with, a conversation with the president. Um, they know that the president has uh, uh, Brian Kemp uh, um, on, on his radar, and uh, he, he's a dead man walking, basically. Yeah, you he's know, that's, dead man that, that's interesting that you say that uh, about the liberal media. You're right. They, they buried that headline for sure. Uh, there wasn't even a headline about it as it relates to what happened down there at the convention about that. So, so where does that leave you and uh, Donald Trump and, and, and how you get this... Uh, how you beat Kemp down there, because, uh, you know, Trump's endorsement would be really, really important for you, obviously. Well, obviously, uh, Kemp had beat himself. He beat himself with no leadership. 
He's beat himself with caving into the left and the Stacey Abrams. Uh, as it relates to Donald Trump, I think everybody knows that I put it all on the field for Donald Trump, even when it wasn't popular. I held the line for President Trump. Why? Because I believed in what he was doing. I believe in the American First agenda, like I'm having Georgia First, the Georgia First agenda. Um, you know, uh, we like to do one thing uh, we say back home. We like to save our Trump card, if you will. So uh, stay tuned. Uh, there, there's, there's, there's some good stuff coming our way. And um, obviously, I'm a parent. Um, we are in touch with the voters. We know two things. They want election integrity, and they don't want those Dominion machines. And where do those Dominion machines come from? If you look at the tip of the spear, is Brian Kemp. He's protecting, keeping him there. And he doesn't want to have an audit because it blows up in his face. But it's blown up anyhow. There's nothing he can do, uh, Brian, to get to get out of what he's got himself into. Ver Vernon, I got about a minute left, maybe a little less. Why do you think Brian Kemp didn't want the audit? You say blow up in his face. I mean, what, what do you think he was concerned about specifically? Why did why didn't go for the forensic audit? Because it looks at the policies and the procedures, and you can see in Stacy's law with that settlement agreement on the executive yeah. branch. They changed the signature verification. That was in our state law. At the same time, even the drop-off boxes, the drop-off boxes was not as part of the state law, elections law. Only the legislature can change that. And interesting, do you know they came back in 2021 and they wrote the drop-off boxes into the law? And then the Secretary of State Defense, based on Stacey, I mean, I'm sorry, the uh, Attorney General's defense, based on Stacey Abrams' new lawsuit, is that, wait a minute, Stacey can't determine how many drop-off boxes go in there, only the legislature. Well, wait a minute, then how did Stacey's law get into the primary on the general election in 2020 and the runoff in 2021? And when Brian said there was no problems with our elections, it was free and transparent, then wait a minute, why does he want to verify it? Like Reagan, I'm not saying I don't mm -hmm. trust you, but let's verify it. Let's verify it with the Florence Audit. You'll see it, it would blow up in his face, and that's why he's fighting it. Yeah, Vernon Jones, really appreciate your time. I got Brian Kemp is in a world of hurt down there for sure, and uh, you're gonna let it. You're gonna let the world in Georgia for sure know about it. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank if, you, if Vernon. If they want to feel the burn, they can go to JonesForGeorgia.com and donate. JonesForGeorgia.com. <laughs> feel, feel the burn. Feel the burn. I love it. I love it. Go to the trademark office on that one, Vernon Jones. Thank you so much. <laughs> feel the burn. How's Bernie going to feel about that? By the way, speaking of Bernie, and I say this all the time uh, off, off camera, but I'll just say it right now. I get paid by the hour, so I'm hoping this can be a three-hour show because according to Bernie, if I'm making $15 an hour, that's $45 for the show. We do a three-hour show. Welcome back to The Water Tour, everybody. Uh, okay, so let's talk about covid and specifically the cases and how they are calculated. It has been an ongoing debate for a long time. And look at this headline that we saw over the weekend. California County, this is in Northern California, those COVID-19 uh, cases, the death toll was actually lowered by 400 after counting method changed. And we're gonna get more on this from uh, Dr. J, uh, of course. Now, I'm not the Philadelphia 76ers star in the 1980s. Uh, he was unavailable. But Dr. J, the professor of medicine at Stanford University, is here. And I think he's more uh, knowledgeable when it comes to this type of stuff than Dr. J. So Dr. J from Stanford, thanks for being here. Nice to be here, David. Well, where do we even begin? Uh, th this is apparently a case, as I'm looking here, in Alameda County. They are taking those numbers down now by about 25% or so, because I guess it just depends whether you died 
of COVID specifically or if you had COVID at the time of death and that was part of it? Uh, what's going on here, Dr. J? I mean, it's difficult to always find a precise cause of death, especially when you have a, a your older patient. Uh, older patients often have multiple causes of, of, of death that, that and it's hard to say one is particular, right? So, but here what they did is that it sounds like an audit of the death certificates and said, like someone with a, you know, died of a bus accident, probably, even though they had COVID, probably didn't die of COVID. Um, so, so I think there's, I think that actually is a, is a good thing. Like we need to, we need good death certificate numbers just so we can understand what the, uh, what the harms of the of COVID were versus harms of other other, other public health problems. Um, it sounds like we're finally getting back to normal, trying to get uh, trying trying to understand that 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 there's more than just COVID. Uh, as far as public health threats to the, the country goes. Now, clearly, obviously, we're talking about a global pandemic. No one's trying to doubt any of the seriousness of this. So let's just do that as a disclaimer. But at the same time, I mean, if, if you're going to go county to county across the, the country and, and, and counties are going to start to do this, uh, that, that could significantly affect uh, some, the death toll that we're seeing because then, then all bets are off as to what the numbers we have been told previously. I mean, it's interesting when you read the story uh, about the Alameda County. The the, uh, the the revision was, I mean, it sounds like controversial to some extent, just because they didn't want to minimize the risk of COVID. But I don't think there's a single person on the face of the earth that thinks COVID is not a uh, not actually a, a big public health problem. I mean, just that's just really not a, not an issue. The issue really is. Uh, refocusing public health so that we're looking at all of the threats to public health, not just COVID. Uh, and this is a first step. Like, let's, let's, every county should do this. Why not? Why, we should do a death certificate audits to make sure that we are counting the deaths correctly. Uh, and I don't, I, you know, I, th I think in some senses, I was kind of heartened to see that the Alameda County is sort of moving in this direction. I think some of the concern would be the inflated numbers because, you know, everything was based on the data. And, and if it's based on the data, then at least the way many constitutional conservatives see it, their freedoms continue to be chipped away. Uh, and, and there's a concern that, you know, we'd be in mask land forever. Uh, so, so I think the concern is, you know, what, what happened here as, as it relates to, to the data, because that, that would kind of directly impact their freedoms. I mean, I think the key thing here is corruption of the way we counted the deaths. If, if we used a process that's different for assigning the cause of death for COVID than we do for other things, well, that's a problem for public health. Like public health depends on the trust of the population, uh, that it's it's nonpartisan, that it's counting accurately. It doesn't un unduly cause fear in the population. Actually, it should never cause fear in the population. All should seek to like uh, address the address the concerns of the population, give tools to like a, to a, to deal with it. Instead, what we've had, I think, through much of the epidemic has been this sort of monomaniacal focus on COVID, and we've changed our process. Scientific debate has been undermined. It uh, sounds like in some places the, the counting, the, the standard counting of, of cause of death has been undermined. Um, we just need to come back to normal processes, normal processes of science, normal processes, to take it completely out of the political realm and back into the scientific realm where it belongs. And then and public health about where it belongs and, and, and start to do things with it that are much broadly, more broadly focused than, than COVID. I agree with you. It's been a threat to our liberties many, in part because we've been so, we've decided that, that our liberties weren't so important when, when it comes to a pandemic. And I think that was a mistake. So let me follow up on a couple of things you just said there. You mentioned corruption. I want to understand what you mean. Are, are you suggesting that uh, some of the way this was done at the beginning uh, was a, a somewhat of a corrupt process? What, what, are you, what are you saying exactly? I just want to make 
make sure I understand that. Yeah. So what I mean by corruption is, I, I, I guess maybe the, the, the word's not precise. I, I, what I mean by corruption is like we there are standard processes for signing death certificates, the cause of death on death certificates. There are standard processes for what to do in the context of a pandemic. Uh, you know, you for instance, you focus on the, the most vulnerable. You don't panic the population. Many of those standard processes were thrown out the window in the context of this pandemic from the, almost the early days of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what I mean. I think that that, uh, that, that was a, a huge error on the part of public health officials and scientists. Uh, and I think it's undermined the trust of the public, not unreasonably, in those officials and the scientists. And I think uh, the reaction to this story about, uh, about the revision of death certificates, I mean, normally it would be a, a, a you know a story that page up, appear on page 40 or something, oh, right. some death certificates have changed. But re- the reason it's appearing up near the front pages is because it shows how deeply the public distrusts public health now. Well, you and know, that's- you make a really good point, because I want to bring up before I let you go here, uh, the distrust of public health. This is part of the problem why we're not seeing uh, everyone get a, get vaccinated. I mean, I mean, let's be honest. They they don't trust many of these uh, scientists. They, they when I say scientists, I'm talking about public health overall. This idea of big government. Uh, you know what's happening out there exactly? Uh, a rushed process potentially. And, and once again, emergency authorization for these vaccines. We should point that out. It is under emergency authorization. So you put all of that together, and there is skepticism uh, about this vaccine still out there. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you, David. And that's one of the major costs when you sort of ruin the credibility of of, uh, institutions like public health. When there are reasonable things, like older people should get the vaccine, they absolutely should. It's, it's, it, it'll protect them against this deadly disease. Um, that Well, if you can't say that message credibly, you're going to hurt public health. Public health needs to be nonpartisan. Public health needs to be credible. And it's and it's ruined its reputation on both lines during this pandemic. It's going to need to work hard to get it back. For sure. All right, Dr. J, really appreciate your time. Great stuff. I, we haven't seen you in a while, so I'm glad you're back. And we'd like to love to talk to you next week if we could. That'd be great. Yeah, love that. All right. Sounds good, Dr. J. You like how I just book on the fly? I'm, Madison, I'm like booking the show. As we speak, Madison thanking me for that. Not going to pay me anything later, so whatever. So I'm not going to get any money for it. Uh, but I am now an anchor and a guest booker at the same time. By the way, uh, on the vaccine rates, uh, Joe Biden wanted 70 percent of America to be vaccinated by July 4th. Not going to happen, folks. Not going to happen. Uh, number one. Number two, uh, Joe Biden talked about everybody could have a picnic on July 4th. You know, it'll be great. And you know what? Everybody's having picnics anyhow, Joe. See ya. Bye. Welcome back to The Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, Donald Trump over the weekend, we've been speaking about him a lot on this show, uh, and he spoke uh, over the weekend about critical race theory. And I want to play some of this before we bring in our next guest, Nan Hayworth. Uh, uh, You know her well, the former U.S. Congresswoman. I do want to play Donald Trump speaking over the weekend about critical race theory. Here is what he had to say. The Biden administration has also issued regulations to indoctrinate America's school children with poisonous and divisive left-wing doctrines, such as critical race theory and exact opposite of the American belief that we all are created equal in the holy image of God. Uh, We have uh, a group of people, I don't know where they come from, but it's terrible. Just as the state House of Representatives has done right here in North Carolina. Republicans at every level should move immediately to ban critical race theory in our schools. 
and we should ban it in workplaces, we should ban it in our states, and we should ban it in the federal government, and it should be done immediately. And the standing ovation ensued after that. Critical race theory, 2022 midterms, they're going to be put right together. How is that going to play in the suburbs in 2022? Democrats might be in a world of trouble. We'll talk more about that now with Nan Hayworth, former U.S. Congresswoman, and back here on the water cooler. Nan, great to have you back with us. David, always my privilege. Thank you. Well, what do you make of uh, what Donald Trump said over the weekend, and what's the implication of Republicans kind of hammering home critical race theory as a, as a political uh, issue here? Because it's, it's a big one. Well, David, it is. Um, and one way you know that, and of course, you know, I, it, really we want to transcend politics with this. It's, it's a crucial issue. Uh, it is a powerful political issue because it is striking. President Trump is right. And when he was in office, uh, he had taken measures to fight this poison. It strikes at the heart and the soul of our constitutional republic, of our society. And the way you know that this is an issue that indeed can transcend political uh, affiliations uh, and uh, maybe reordering, in fact, the, our uh, political uh, world in certain ways, is that there are parents who are uh, from demographics that are certainly not uh, what we have certainly recently come to think of as Republican demographics, who are leading the effort to counter uh, critical race theory in public and private schools. Uh, and the Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism, for example, uh, has come out very strongly and is uniting uh, people from all uh, portions of the political spectrum against this because it is so toxic, it is so divisive. So President Trump's right about that, and I do think Republicans should champion it, not only uh, because it's a powerful political uh, issue, it is, uh, but also because morally uh, it's the right thing to do. You know, Nan, uh, Joe Biden always talked about being this unifier, this unifier in chief. And then uh, since day one, he's been the exact opposite. He hasn't done anything. I mean, wh why push critical race theory? That's just dividing our country more. Talk about that's racial politics. Yes, it is. It is. Uh, I've certainly I'm among the, the myriad who refer to it as racism uh, in new array. It's neo-racism. It is Racism uh, and racism in every form should be uh, fought against uh, in with every ounce of our strength together as a nation. Uh, Joe, President Biden is being handled. I really don't think he is uh, in in any uh, substantive way in charge of the policies he propounds. He certainly seems to be highly manipulable, at the very least. Uh, and I think the people who are running his agenda, uh, clearly at the top of the Democrat Party, we know this. You know, the energy is, is on the side of these uh, balkanizing, uh, disempowering uh, initiatives uh, that 
you can't yeah. help but see this as part of a concerted effort to uh, transform us into an authoritarian state. I, I want to get to one other topic, but I do want to follow up on what you just said on, on Biden not being kind of in control of any of this. I mean, are you referring, because there's been other people that have said this, from a mental health perspective, questioning, you know, what's happening yeah. there? Yeah, I do think he's diminished. David, I'm not presuming to make a diagnosis. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I don't believe in that. But but it, you can't observe this man and yeah. not know uh, that he isn't fully in charge right. of what he's saying be at the very least. Yeah, and I know you come from a place of empathy on that, and so do I, because it's been very difficult to watch, uh, for sure, not just for our yeah. country, but for him personally, uh, for sure. Uh, all right, well, let, let me ask you one last question about this uh, safe border petition uh, that you uh, know very well. You're involved in this effort. This is, in essence, I mean, I'd like you to kind of sum it up, but uh, I want to show you the petition. Basically, what happened to screening illegal immigrants at the border for COVID? I mean, it, it, what's happening there is not how other actual American citizens are being treated as it relates to COVID protocols. They're much different at the border. Why don't you explain what you're trying to do here? I've got about a minute left, Nan. Yes, well, David, clearly American citizens have been subjected to by especially blue states, but also by the federal government. When you travel, if you go on an airline, if you're in an airport, you still have to wear a mask, you have to conform to all these protocols, and yet, uh, immigrants who enter our country illegally are streaming across the southern border, are not being effectively tested, certainly are not being quarantined, uh, they're not being vaccinated, uh, and this exposes the American public to risk that is unnecessary. It is unfair. It's unfair uh, to uh, Americans who are uh, being forced uh, to com comply with uh, restrictive uh, regulations that are harming our economy uh, and, and harming children still in terms of uh, restrictions on schools, and yet illegal immigrants aren't subject to the same uh, scrutiny. It's just wrong and it's unsafe. All right. Nan Hayworth, I appreciate your work on that. And uh, if you want to check out the petition, just go online and you can find it there. Uh, Nan, great to have you on the show again. Appreciate it. Thank you, David. Thank you. Good stuff. Nan Hayworth, uh, a patriot here in America. Coming next, the last sip. <laughs> Ready for this? So Kamala, well, I don't want to get into it now, but Kamala Harris goes to the down to Guatemala. And let's just say the Trump folks were out in force in Guatemala. And oh, by the way, Kamala is giving cookies out of herself. Huh? Back in a moment. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Time for, boom, the last sip. Kamala Harris, the VP, she's a piece of work. Uh, she's down in Guatemala. Good for her. No more virtual meetings. Hey, she made it down the stairs. That's impressive. Joe Biden having a hard time making it up the stairs. But Kamala Harris nicely uh, landing the, uh, or she, she had a nice landing there. Anyhow, so this is what the media is going to show you, right? They're going to show you all that uh, and, you know, fanfare, blah, blah, blah. Here's what we're going to show you on the water cooler, because this also happened uh, down in Guatemala. Uh, but you won't see this. Kamala non grata. Kamala, mind your own business. Kamala, go home. Look at all the Trump, <laughs> look at the Trump signs. This is what she saw down there when she landed. These were all these folks lined in the streets. Stop financing criminal groups, Kamala. And also, hey, trade, not USAID. Anyhow, this is, this is, <laughs> this, ooh, uh, get rid of the, I don't like the KK there. But anyhow, Kamala, not welcome. Uh, and it goes on and on. And I wanna, we gotta wait for this one sign. There's actually a couple signs coming up. The next one, here it comes, and boom. 
Kamala, comma, Trump won. Hey, how do you like that, Kamala? Welcome to Guatemala, Trump won. That's pretty funny. And look at this guy coming up in the next sign. This is what I love this guy's face. Ready? There he is. Trump, Trump won, Trump won, dot, 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 exclamation point. Anyhow, Kamala Harris getting the Guatemala treatment uh, there down in where? Guatemala, wait for it. Hey, also, I'm sorry, I'm already laughing because I know what's coming. Shall we just show it? Let's, let's cue the cookie. This is the Kamala Harris cookie. I'm not making this up, folks. This is not any sort of water cooler, ha-ha, fun little effect that we have. This is real. Kamala Harris gave out, wait for it, Kamala Harris cookies to the press on Air Force Two. I kid you not. That's like me having a water cooler party and saying, hey, everybody, I made a cookie of myself, and I'm going to give you a cookie of me. Madison, would you like a cookie just of my face? No, Madison says, absolutely not. I don't want any part of that cookie. And honestly, probably neither does America. And by the way, I would suggest that 75 million people don't want that cookie either. Uh, that, by the way, that's the tweet that the USA Today reporter at the White House put up. See, uh, Kamala Harris made an OTR, an off-the-record, visit to the back of the plane and delivered cookies decorated with the shape of her likeness as well as Air Force Two, could you, as, as well as Air Force Two, could you imagine Donald Trump putting a picture, like, a, like here you go, Trump in back of Air Force One. Hey, I got cookies for all of you in my face. He would be lambasted, basted, all that stuff. How do you say that word? Back in a moment. back to the water cooler, everybody. It's the end of the show. It's Monday. Anna Perez here after... Uh, were you with Kamala Harris on, your, on a long weekend? You didn't have a long weekend, did you? I was with her. It was yeah. a fantastic vacation. Um, <laughs> and we're actually planning our next together. You are? Can you tell me where our you're honeymoon, going? honeymoon, if you will. Oh, God. Certainly well, not the border, that's for sure. No, no. Though she is down there, uh, finally... Guatemala, but not the border. Yeah, we'll those Trump signs. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, it's nice to see that you had a long weekend with Kamala. Yeah, it was good, fun. Good for you. Uh, so what's going on? What do you... What's uh, happening in... Uh, your news world. Well, we found a lot of interesting migration plans, and I don't mean Mexicans, I mean Americans in the United States. Okay. No, Mexicans <laughs> are not clarify. birds. So well, they could be Mexican, I guess. Eh, American Mexican. But today, but, uh, that's not what In America, at oh, least, uh, uh, Updater Technologies, which is a platform that people use to move, to transfer their utilities, to find moving companies, they found out of every 300,000 moves that they were able to uh, keep track of, mm -hmm. that uh, the states that they were moving to, these there were only 16 states, 16 of these states, sorry, mm -hmm. had more inbound moves than outbound moves, mm. which means they had more people coming in than coming out. And these states are, of course, Texas, Florida, North Carolina, you know, more of the freedom-loving states. Right. Whereas we saw sta uh, states like New York, California, even some Midwestern states with, you know, Ohio, Cleveland, mm. because of cities like Cleveland, um, cities like Cleveland yeah. and Milwaukee, uh, they actually had more outbound travel, so meaning huh. more people moved out than in. So obviously these states haven't been great for a while. You know, it wouldn't be fair to blame it all on the pandemic when there's human feces on the sidewalks in San Diego. That's Nancy Pelosi for you. But, uh, you know, she's not, yeah. So, but, you know, it's fair to say that this huge jump in trends that we've seen mm -hmm. um, in New York specifically, mm -hmm. uh, Cuomo, of course, is handling the situation there. This has a lot to do with COVID. And, you know, a lot of people are okay, or especially young people, but even families, I think, make the trade-off when living in a city of, you know, I pay higher taxes and mm -hmm. it's kind of a smaller environment. I don't have as much room for my family or myself. But at least I have this cool place I live in. There's a lot of sightseeing to do. 
But you know, with COVID restrictions, you couldn't do a lot of that. So you know, it's no surprise that they're interested in moving out of those places. Yeah, no, 100%. That's very interesting. Uh, and of course, Florida and Texas, we knew this was going to happen. Right. Yeah, just, you know what, please, you know, take your moving van, but don't put your politics in the moving van. Could you? And that's what the concern is. I think that's what it comes down to. A lot of people, a lot of conservatives are concerned about that. For sure. All right, Anna, great to have you on the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, tomorrow on the show, oh, look, what's in prompter? Congresswoman Marjorie, <laughs> Marjorie Taylor Greene back on the water cooler. I'm going to roll on that. We got to TiVo that. <laughs>